there. Welcome to That'll Teach If You Let It. So we kind of realized about two episodes in that you guys that are listening might kind of want to know who we are and maybe <laughs> why why we're doing this. And so this isn't technically an episode, so it's not like episode three. It's just like a get to know your hosts. So probably something we should have done at the beginning, obviously. Probably. But, you know. But then again, probably only one person is upset about it because that's probably all all the listeners we have at the moment. Right. But if you are listening. Yeah, shout out to Courtney. (laughs) But if you are listening, you know, we're thankful for you all the same. (laughs) Please keep listening. (laughs) Anyway, so um, Travis came up with interview questions because he's an overachiever. And so, Actually, it's just because I love to see you stress and you hate interviews. That's right, why. I do hate interviews. Um, that's actually going to come up in one of the questions that you're going to ask oh, me. A little foreshadowing yeah, there. Yeah, a Great. little foreshadowing. Sarah's <laughs> terrible at interviews. So, Travis, tell us about your family. Your family growing up and your family currently. So, I grew up in a family in a small town. Um, pretty much most of my relatives lived in the same community, same town. So I uh, didn't have, uh, had a lot of family members around my immediate family. I have one brother, he's four and a half years younger than me. Um, could not have probably been more different growing up. So I uh, can't say that we got along very, very well. I know that sibling rivalry and um, brotherly love, I guess, so to speak. But um, so anyway, um just kind of the normal family. My mom and dad are still together and turning 65 this year. So for my um, my immediate family now, my wife and I, um, Casey, we met at Winthrop, which is where we both graduated uh, to be teachers. And um, this year will be 19 years. I don't know how we've been married 19 years. I'm not that much older than 19. Um <laughs> Sarah likes to say I'm old, so, um, but anyway, and we have two children. Um, We have a daughter that just turned 15. Again, don't know how that happened either. I have a 15-year-old daughter, um, Emily. My son, Bryce, is getting ready to turn 12 on Tuesday of next week. Um, And then we have an additional son who is getting ready to turn 13 this Saturday. So within a week, we're celebrating all the birthdays. All the birthdays. Have two poodles. Never thought I would have poodles, but we have poodles. I love them. Just don't uh, strike me as a poodle person. Yeah, I'm not. But my wife is allergic, so we have to find something that's hyperallergenic. So there you go. I have two poodles. And that's it, in a nutshell. I love it. What about you? What about me? Family. So um, kind of the same deal. I grew up in the Blue Ridge area. I think Blue Ridge, TR, very small town. Um, actually, when you say like relatives living close, like the house I grew up in for most of my life, like my grandmother lived right next door. I had an aunt and uncle and a cousin that lived up the hill behind me, and then another aunt and uncle that lived up the hill behind there. Um, and then so you had the rest your own of my family, compound. yeah, like okay. we kind of had a little little area going on. Um, and so I grew up with my mom and my dad and it was just my older brother Austin and I for a long time he's four years older than I am Um, and then I was the baby for 14 years until my parents decided to adopt my little brother (laughs) Wow! Um, so my parents were foster parents for most of my life growing up Mm -hmm. and he was like our like 16th baby I think and he was two days old when we got him 
And so when he was about nine months old, they just, they felt like God was calling them to adopt him. So now I have a younger brother. So, you know, my siblings were 35, 31, and 17. <laughs> um, so that that's fun. Um, now I live in Greenville, live in the apartment life with my little family. So my husband Taylor and I, we met at North Greenville. Um, we've been married eight years, going on nine in July. And we have an almost 16-month-old daughter named Delcy. And we have two cats, Franz and Keiko. Who came out with the names? Um, see, Taylor's into music. He's a music major. And so they're mm -hmm. named after um, composers, uh, Franz Schubert and Keiko Abe. We actually had a dog for a while. He's my parents' dog now, but his name's Hector Berlioz. So our animals are named after musical composers. Yeah, fun fact. Wish I could have some creative reason why mine is named Obi and Juju, but <laughs> we uh, so rescued both of them, and so they already had those names when we, when we got them. That works. I love so, it. So, when, you know, in your family, what values were instilled in you? My parents definitely, um, I think from my, grand, my grandparents being uh, very um, middle-class, hard-working, uh, people that didn't have a lot, uh, kind of grew up during those times of farming. Uh, my grandfather was a sharecropper at one time, so um, his family didn't own land. And, you know, if you know anything about sharecropping, they just, they farmed off the land and gave, you know, a portion of that back to the person who owned the land. They just got to kind of farm it and raise it and, and that kind of thing. And then, so they picked cotton and different things like that and then worked in the cotton mills and textile industry and stuff like that so they worked a lot of hours and you know didn't make a whole lot didn't have a whole lot but they because of that and growing up my grandfather just passed away last year at 97 and so he you know was living through world war ii and different times so there's a lot of things that probably come from him and then teaching that my dad and how it gets passed on down is just the value of hard work um the importance of saving and um he saved everything like we would call them hoarders probably today and fat rats, but that's just that generation and uh, they didn't have a whole lot. So whatever they did have, they held on to um, kind of thing. Family was always extremely important. You know, um, my dad would always say, you know, there's a lot of things that will come and go and stuff, but family will always be there for you. So that was just kind of ingrained um, in us as well. Respect, um, big on respect and, um, and I think that kind of probably goes to my na the name. My dad used to always talk about our name. I don't know if it was because we were sons and carrying on the, the last name Chapman, but it was always like not to do anything that would disgrace or being proud of your name and what it stood for and not doing things that were going to um, kind of bring disgrace to the name and stuff. So mm -hmm. it was a source of pride and just and that kind of thing. But um grew up in a Christian home and... um Grew up in a Pentecostal church and then went to a Baptist church for a little while and uh, with my grandmother. And uh, so it was always a big part of, of my life was, was faith and faith values. And so kind of going back to the last question that you talked about, because there's something I think like is an interesting thing to share with any of our learners. Something that we kind of have in common is, you know, you talking about your parents fostering and, um, and you've actually fostered yeah. um, and how... Over the last two years, we've had children in our home and then got our foster license and are currently fostering. So um, 
it's definitely a calling. And, yes. you know, when I think about my family, as we were talking about our families, I don't know how big, I'm sure that played an influence in, in your perspective or how you looked at fostering or mm-hmm. being able to even take in someone else's child like that and care for them and love them like that. So I think if it wasn't for my upbringing and my parents and the values and stuff that was instilled in me, I don't know that I would be in this field and I don't, definitely don't think I would be fostering. Yeah. No, that makes sense. What about you? What are some of the values that your family instilled? Actually, a lot of mine are, are very similar. You know, I, I also grew up in a Christian home, so a lot of faith-based values. Mm-hmm. Um, respect was a big one. I, I think that kind of goes with, you know, the Christian household, but also being raised in the South. Like, it's yes, ma'am, no right. ma'am, yes, right. sir, no, sir. And if you don't answer that way, you get in trouble. That's right. Um and so switches uh, come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, my parents would just tell me they were disappointed in me. That's uh, that's all the crumble, disi- right? <laughs> you know, that's all the punishment I needed. Um, but then like, you know, respect for authority as well, like respect for my elders, which is why I respect you so much. Oh gosh, funny. Um, uh-huh. you know, that's respect was a big thing in my household. Um, patience. Um my mother is like one of the most patient human beings on the planet and so I always looked up to her for how um positive she is about things and how patient that she can be with people and then hard work both of my parents are very hard working and you know growing up I don't think I really noticed I didn't really see it but like when I look back now I'm like oh my gosh like to me like we had everything we could possibly need and more right and it just came you know it just that's just the way it was. But looking back, I'm like, wow, like they, they really had to bust their tails to right. make sure that we had all of this stuff. Um, and now, you know, they still work hard. I don't know why they don't just retire and, <laughs> and be retired. But um, so, yeah, I, I learned that, that nothing comes for free and that the things that you do either get or work for, you should take care of. Those are things that, um, things that I learned. And then, um, taking care of people, I guess. And, and I think that goes along with like fostering. Like we, we took care of so many children that it was, it was a family thing. Like it wasn't just my parents or fostering these babies. Like we all helped, like my Mm -hmm. brother and I, like we, we all played a part and even my extended family like would help. And so, um, kind of goes along with, with taking care of people, but not really seeking out like spotlight or right. praise for right. it, just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Right. Um, so there was a lot of love in my family growing up. We um, we had a lot of fun, a lot of arguments, um, especially with my dad because we're basically the same person. So <laughs> we we argued a lot, but you know it, it was one of those like even in the hard times there was never like there was never doubt that my family loved me. So but it's just warm fuzzies, and I know that not everybody has that kind of experience. You right. know, I've learned that right. growing up and learned that through fostering. Like not everybody has that kind of family dynamic. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very thankful for oh, yeah. my upbringing. Yeah. Incredibly grateful for, for that. And I think we see it more than probably anyone being in education and the kids that come through our, our halls and in our classrooms and situations we dealt with and parents that we've talked with and um and being on the foster side and the dss stuff and all those different moments and you know so much about what these kids are going through and so uh just incredibly grateful for your own what you have and i, I think probably wanting to the best of our ability to provide 
some kind of stability for yeah. others. Um, challenges was that was what were what was the biggest issues or challenges or difficulties of growing up in a home that fostered? You are throwing. Yeah, I'm throwing you a curveball. This one's not scripted. Questions. Not a question. I threw oh, out no. earlier. Come on, was you can the, think on your feet. You're a teacher. Honestly, um, the biggest <laughs> challenge with that is um, knowing that they were going to go mm-hmm. one day. Um, and, you know, we had some babies for just like two weeks. Um, we, I remember we had one baby just for a weekend. And at the end of the weekend, um, her birth mother was like, no, I can't do this. I want her back. And so a lot of the babies that we got were um, um from teen moms, you know, back Mm -hmm. then, like being a teen mom was a little less common and it was, um, had a, I guess more of a stigma around it it than it does now. And so a lot of teen moms were, were giving up their children for adoption. So that's kind of where we would step in. So the hardest thing was when they would leave and we had, we had one baby for a very long time. Um, Aaron Matthew, and he was 10 months old, I think when he got adopted and I remember, like, I remember my parents grieving that. And, you know, I, I kind of have an, my own experience with that now because right. um, we were going to adopt our foster son, and, and that fell through. And it is, it, I mean, it's grief. It's mm-hmm. it's big grief, but you kind of have to balance it with, you know, they're, they're better off because of what you gave them and how you cared for them. And so you've just kind of given them that, those stepping stones that they need to continue yeah. So the hardest thing was definitely, you know, knowing that we didn't get to keep them forever. And then we ended up getting to keep one forever anyway. So <laughs> that's that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, just seeing that through, you know, my experience now and and looking at it through my kids' eyes and just trying to, you know, always be in touch with how they feel about it as well. Because like you, you mentioned about it being a family thing, everybody kind of contributes to it and everybody kind of and in our situation my kids being older and uh we're not we haven't fostered babies uh little ones so you know that kind of has its own challenges and stuff too and they have so much experience um prior to coming into your home so yeah yeah. it's um, different so it's it's a it's a challenge but i think overall you know it's a positive thing for sure for the for the child that's being fostered in in a good foster home but it's also a lot of positive things that come out of it for, you know, like for my children and for us. I mean, we're definitely growing in, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a good way from the experience. Yeah. Definitely. So anyway, I was just curious. <laughs> Didn't mean to throw you a curveball, but you handled it well. Yeah. You thanks. hit it out of the park. You know, well. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you decide to enter the field of education? What was it that drew you to teaching? So I wish I had that answer of it's been all my life. Um, but it's not. I wanted to be a baseball player. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Isn't that what every boy in your first grade class says they want to be a professional baseball, yeah. basketball, football? That's what they. That's what we all want to be until we get to an age where we realize that you know our talent is not quite that good, and we're <laughs> probably not going to make a living at this. So for me, it was after my JV year in JV baseball in high school, and. Um, started thinking about other careers. What was I going to do? There's a lot of different interests, um, kind of drafting, engineering, um, worked in a pharmacy for four years. So thought about going to school to be a pharmacist, but didn't want to take the chemistry and the math and all that stuff that goes with it. Um, so 
the summer after my sophomore year, our church kind of did a youth takeover of the children's ministry. So we taught the Sunday school class. We did the children's church. We did some activities. It wasn't really a vacation Bible school, although I did do that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, this is kind of cool. I really enjoy working. Now, there was little kids, and that was not where I went initially with teaching, but I enjoyed it. And I was like, maybe I could do this. You know, I kind of like it. And um, the person who was in there with me was like, you were really good at that. So just that boat of confidence for somebody that you were doing a good job was mm-hmm. um, was kind of encouraging. So I signed up to do teacher cadets, and I really enjoyed my experience in there. I was the only male. Uh, mm-hmm. There's usually one, if you're lucky, in the group. Yeah. Um, and he usually just wants to be a coach, um, <laughs> <laughs> but especially at that time. But anyway, so I really enjoyed the experiences that I got to, to have. And um I had some great teachers along the way, uh, some people that I looked up to and I really enjoyed their classrooms and how they made things come to life. Uh, Charlie Berry was my sixth grade social studies teacher. He was awesome, uh, very energetic, crazy. He was just completely crazy, <laughs> had some great projects that we did, very hands-on, uh, made everything come to life. And um, I can think of just Coach George Martin made U.S. history come to life. He's actually at Pickens High School or has been working there for a while, but he was at BHP and taught um, 10th grade U.S. history. And I mean, he would bring like refrigerator boxes and pretend they were like, he would stack them up in his room like they were different buildings or Stone, Stonewall Jackson. He's teaching about it and he's riding <laughs> like a, a stick as a horse through class. Like, I mean, he just, it was just like watching a movie. So. Yeah. Very, very um, interesting classes. And that's probably why I drove me to such studies because that was my passion and that was where the, the better teachers that I felt like I had um, as well. But um, but the other thing that drew me to teaching was the not-so-good classes. You know, mm-hmm. the classes that I was in were just like, take notes, take notes, take notes, take notes. Write this. And back then, you know, the overhead projectors. I know I'm old and you oh, probably don't I know anything. all about you overhead do? projectors. Really? Oh, yeah, really. That was still around in your generation? Yeah, it sure was. Because I know you're so young and I'm so old. <laughs> I'm a dinosaur over here. Um, well, we got the overhead projectors after we put the typewriters away, you know, um, and started working on those. But anyway, writing those <laughs> down, I was just like, there has to be a better way. This has to be you can do this differently it doesn't have to be like this and i was watching so many of my friends and other kids in other classes just kind of like lose interest when you got to middle school and high school and and so i was as driven to teaching and education by the teachers who were not great teachers as i was the ones that were good because i just wanted to do it differently yeah uh, and make school exciting and fun for kids Mm -hmm. So what about administration? So you started in teaching, but now yeah. you're a principal. So, so that um, there, there, that one actually has a pretty interesting story. So um, a couple years into to teaching, I wanted to finish the third year, get through the evaluation part of it. But I wanted to go back to school. I enjoyed learning. Um, and, and if I'm being 100% honest, all of us look in teaching at the way the pay scale is set up, and it's like, you know, this is what you're going to make. And if you want to make any more, go get another degree and, um, and all that kind of stuff. So it was like, I started looking at master's programs and I started thinking about, let me go all the way back to middle school. And who was I, what was, what was I known for? And to most of my friends, I was the one that helped them, the one they talked to. I was a good listener. Mm-hmm. I know you don't believe that cause I talk all the time, you do. You talk but, um, but I can be a good listener <laughs> And I always like to help people. So initially, I wanted to be a counselor. I was like, I'm going to go back to school. I started looking at Clemson University. I'm going to be going to counseling. 
So I had bus duty one morning in the gym at Belton Middle School, right where I was teaching at the time. And um, the guidance counselor there was my guidance counselor at the high school when, and he's the one that kind of directed me to Winthrop. Okay. So we're having this conversation and I'm telling him like, hey, I'm look, I'm thinking about going to school to be a guidance counselor. And so he's like, well, tell me why you want to be a guidance counselor and I'll tell you, I'll give you some advice. I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I really just want to help people. I'm, I'm as interested in probably what we would call today the social, emotional and uh, meeting kids' needs and helping kids to have what they need to be successful as I am the academic piece of it. Mm-hmm. So I tell him all this stuff and he was like, okay, here's my advice to you. He's like, I went into it for the same reasons that you just mentioned. He's like, but once I got in, I do testing, I do scheduling, I do paperwork. You know, like he just started laying out all these things that I was just like, ugh. And he goes, and I hardly ever had time to do counseling. Now this was at the middle school level and I'm sure it's different at elementary and he's like, I tell you what, my suggestion, if I had it to do over again, he goes, I would go into administration. He's like, number one, you're probably going to start out as an assistant principal. He's like, who ends up in the assistant principal's office? I was like, discipline kids. And he's like, and aren't they the ones that need a lot of help and extra attention and stuff too and their families? So like, yeah, he's like, you're going to spend more time with them than I am as a counselor. And you're going to make more money. And you're going to have, you know, more opportunities to do other things that you might want to do. So honestly, that conversation that that morning um, in the gym was like, okay, like I I really listened to what he said. And so I went back and and um, so that was kind of what drew me to administration from counseling. But then once getting in was like, how can I do that? How can I do what I was passionate about in this field of administration? That's an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, look at you now. <laughs> now you know how, like, and, and I always look back to that and how powerful one conversation can be. Yeah. You know, I can just really change your whole path or direction if you if you really look at it that way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, no pressure to, you know, anytime you're talking with somebody, <laughs> this could be the conversation <laughs> this that could changes be. their life path. That's right. That's what I think every time yeah. I have a conversation with you, you know, this could be the life-changing conversation <laughs> that Sarah was looking for today. Yeah. Still so what about you? What, uh, what, <laughs> why did you decide to go into the field of education? Yeah. So I know in the beginning of yours, you were like, you know, I don't have that story of like from the beginning, but, but mine, mine kind of is, um, <laughs> I had... Um, an incredible first grade teacher. So I initially decided that I wanted to go into education when I was a first grader. Um, and then I decided my junior year of high school, um, kind of what university to attend, like where the program was that I wanted to, to get my education from and to really pursue that education. And, um, funny story, I, I was into music, like band and stuff all throughout middle school and high school. And, I mean, I guess I don't like bragging about myself. But I guess I was pretty good. You were like, good. I, Let's face it, you were you were the bomb. You're I made good. like county band, region band, like did all the solo and ensemble, got superiors, like all that stuff. Like I guess you know whatever. I was this is why to. you are leading the podcast. Yeah, because so you are the star. Of this <laughs> I'm the star of the show. So I was I was drum major my senior year. So like a student leader and. I, I, you know, dabbled with the idea of, of going into music and being like a music education major or even a music performance major. Um, but for some reason, you know, I felt like my calling was, was different. And um, my, my band director my senior year told me that I was wasting my talent by becoming a teacher instead of pursuing music. So that was a little hard to hear, but I still felt like I was, I was choosing the right path. So 
I had an incredible first grade teacher. Her name was Miss Arms. Um, I had a lot of really amazing teachers after that, but she's really the one that kind of sticks out. And I was, I say was, so I was really, you know, withdrawn and shy and anxious um, as a little girl, but she um, saw greatness in me and she made it a point to help me see that. And she um, really fostered a love of, of reading and writing and um, I just remember thinking how wonderful she was and that I wanted to be just like her when I grew up. And so I would play school all the time, like at the end of the school year when the teachers were like cleaning out their cabinets. It was like my favorite week of the year because they would give away all this filled up your book bag. Yeah, I would fill up my book bag and, and come home with like textbooks and um, construction paper and chart paper and work worksheets and all this fun stuff that I would use um, and then play school all summer because, you know, I'm a really weird kid. <laughs> um, but I actually um, found Miss Arms like years ago. My mom helped me and we knew what house she had lived in from when I was in elementary school and we kind of, you know, a little stalkerish, I guess, but we figured out that she still lived in that house and um, we got in touch with her daughter and we set up a, a meeting with her like years ago and and I got to go to her house and she was like pulling out like drawings that I had done for her and like notes that my mom oh, wow. had written her for Christmas like she had like notebooks of stuff and so I'm just sitting there and she's like talking to me and I'm like oh my gosh like I feel like I'm sitting on the carpet like listening to Miss Arms like teach me again like it was a really Flash cool back. experience um she was gonna come read to my class that year but she had some health issues so um, we weren't able to make that work, but um, she was just as wonderful as she was when she, when she was my first grade teacher. So yeah, I've I've kind of been following this path for a while. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, all I could picture was just you and your mom in like total black outfits, like little <laughs> flashlights sneaking around the house to see if that was that was really where she lived. That's not how it went down. Not how it went down. I, I just you said stalkerish, and that's I'm sorry. That's just where my brain went. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> fun. It's imagery. good to know you didn't do that. I did didn't not get do the that. law no, called I, on you. I was not breaking the That's law. Good. That's good. good. I think it's really cool that she kept all your stuff. Isn't that insane? Like she knew exactly so where it was. You made a huge impression on her. I'm sure she didn't have everybody's. I think she had really most. Wow. I think she probably had something. But that she could go and like retrieve it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, she, it it took her no time at all to find it. I mean, maybe because she knew I was coming. She, but I mean, it wasn't like laying out on the table. She's like, Mm -hmm. hold on a second. I'll show you something. She brings out like this, um, three, whatever notebook and like flips through like page protectors. And yeah, it's like the Christmas card my mom gave her that year. Wow. And then like a drawing that I did. And I, like, she told me that one day she was going to go to the library and see a book written by me. My grandmother was cleaning out things this week, actually, and she found a bunch of my books yeah. that I had written, and they're just like notebook paper, like stapled together, yeah. but they're they're so cute. And I was like, gosh, I was like, that's pretty good. There you go. <laughs> you need to, I mean, there's like all those like self-publishing yeah. sites and stuff. You ought to get one published like Heartbound or something and like I send might. it to her. I might. We'll see. So anyway, that's awesome. Moving that's on. a cool story. I don't, I don't know that any of my teachers have any of my stuff in their house, but, but I, I think that's, that is the epitome of, of someone who obviously was very passionate, had the definitely was following their calling mm-hmm. and, you know, valued and cherished 
every moment probably. And I'm sure the ups and the downs, but overall cherish everything to keep stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. I, I have very fond memories of her. I don't, I don't have one negative memory of that woman. And, and the year that I was in first grade was her last year. She retired after, after the year I was in first grade. So, I mean, to, to be at the end of your career and right. still be, you know, giving it your all like yeah. that. it's, it's pretty impressive. She was, she was one of a kind. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of little side notes for anybody who's listening to us right now talk about these teachers and, you know, I'm sure, especially with the year that we've had, there's a lot of people feeling down and I know we've recorded two episodes on self-care and we've talked a lot about just how difficult it is. And we'll talk about that more in a minute, just how challenging it is in education right now. So I think just the fact that you're sitting here, uh, you've been teaching how many years now? Um, <laughs> do you know? Um, <laughs> she kept all your stuff eight. and you can't even remember how many eight. years you taught. All right. So eight years in the classroom and you know, you can recall this first grade teacher and then that first grade teacher can recall you and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff is just shows you the impact that, that you can have in the mm-hmm. classroom. So just keep plugging along, keep pushing mm-hmm. through it, bring it. I like how you said that she was still kind of bringing it with everything she had her all yeah. Um, even after all these years. So mm-hmm. it's a, that's a so, great story. You guys, if you're listening and you're a teacher, you, you are making a difference whether you realize it or not. Right. It's not just cliche. I know we it's say not. a lot, but it's not. So moving right along, you've, you've kind of answered this question a little bit, but tell us about your educational journey. How many years you taught, subjects, new experiences? Yeah. So I, I student taught um, eighth grade social studies. And because uh, I was going to school, I was a political science major at Winthrop, and then my minor was in secondary education. Started going to those career fairs, you know, right before that all the districts come down, and I would like shake their hand and meet them, and they would ask me my certification. And when I told them social studies secondary, they were like, oh, man, we don't have any of those openings. And then they would all look at me and go, you know, we need some males in elementary. Have you ever thought about doing elementary? And I'm sitting here going like, no, I've been doing this for four years. Had I thought about that, I've been doing that. But mm-hmm. so after hearing that multiple times, again conversations, I go back to my dorm and I'm like, start researching. How do I add this? You know. So I took some classes: elementary math, elementary reading, stuff in May semester, summer one. So I started working on that. Ended up, I took a long term job. Um, I graduated in December of 2001. And in January of 2002, I did some subbing before, but I got called for a third grade job by my former third grade principal um, when I was growing up at Marshall Primary. And he said, I have a teacher who's going out on medical leave. And he asked me if I would be interested in doing it. I was like, well, I was just offered a long term for a maternity leave that's like six weeks. I'm getting married in six months. If you can promise me more than six weeks, like I'll come. And so basically he told me, he's like, I really don't know that she'll she'll come back. And I was like, okay. So I go over and I meet with him. And then he like, I was like, who is the teacher? You know, because I went there, I thought it might be some of the teachers. Well, crazy thing was it was my third grade teacher. Oh, wow. And, um, and what was even more weird about it was she was still in the same room that she <laughs> was when I was there. The walls were still the same. The room was basically the same color, cabinets, everything. Wow. The teacher on the other side, they had the, like this little opening between, like it was bricked up, but there was like this one opening, not a doorway, but cubbies for both rooms were kind of in between them. Mm-hmm. So you could look across, and I remember that as a kid, being able to see the teacher, the yeah. other teacher. Well, it was still the same teacher. <laughs> so it was just really, wow. really weird to be in that situation, teaching it, you know, in your 
third grade, four-year third grade teacher in her class. So I did that till the end of the year, and uh, they weren't sure if she was going to come back or not, so they couldn't offer a contract. Mm -hmm. The middle school call where I did my student teaching at Belton Middle told me they had a social studies job, seventh grade. I could take it if I wanted it, so I did that, and um, I spent the next five years there. Taught seventh grade all five years, taught sixth grade and seventh grade my last year there. Um, then I went to Lakeside Middle School and taught eighth grade for three years, South Carolina history. And um, just to get a different experience in a larger school district, I was finishing my master's in administration, so I was kind of looking for opportunities to, to grow. And um, really, it was good to be in two different districts and see that. Yeah. So then my then I made the move to administration. That was in 2010. Um, again, I was secondary administrative certified. And my first AP job ends up being at an elementary school. So it's like God can just keep drawing me back to this elementary thing. Yeah. And um, I had to do another internship, kind of add the elementary. So I'm I have the elementary and the secondary administration. I was there one year, and the school board made some decisions to cut full-time APs at schools that didn't have 500 kids. And we were like 490, 480 mm. something. So anyway, I was low man on the totem pole yeah. and started looking for another job. It all worked out. I got a assistant principal job at Midway Elementary in Anderson 5 for three years. Mm -hmm. My daughter started school, so I got to be there. The year she started kindergarten was my first year. So kind of got to be there with my daughter for three years, which was a cool experience. Um, and then the year that my son was going to start kindergarten is when I got my first principal job at Centerville Elementary. And uh, my son never lets me live that down that I left when he started. And I, I just like <laughs> abandoned him. Um, even though I've tried to explain it now that he's older, why that happened, he, he doesn't really care. He's, not he's like just that. like, you could have stayed there. Um, spent three years there as principal before coming to Pickens County, coming back to Pickens County and being here at Dacusville Elementary. And this is um, my fourth year here. Um, my first year here was an assistant principal job. Um, a unique experience and opportunity that I was interested in being that the school was, um, I guess the term was turnaround school. Um, and that opportunity to be part of something like that was what m interested me and motivated me. Yeah. Um, and the opportunity to, if things went the way they planned and, and, and if I did a decent job, I guess, as a, as an assistant principal, being named principal and being able to hire, you know, my own AP or hire my right. team, build a team and kind of go forward was, um, was exciting. So that's where I've been the last four years. Um, so I know it's a lot of years, you know, because I'm old years. as you, to, as I'm you said. I'm trying to count them on my fingers. I ran out of fingers. <laughs> Seven schools, three different school districts. That's a lot. My um, educational journey is a little less interesting, <laughs> a little less diverse than that. So um, I've been at Dacusville Elementary for 10 years now. I student taught um, in 2011, 2012. And then um, jobs were not as readily available as they mm -hmm. are now. And so I didn't get hired right away after I graduated in, um, in 2012 and I'm terrible at interviews too, so I, I blew a lot of interviews, so that could play into why I didn't get hired right away. Um, but I actually subbed here that that next year, um, and I did three long-term subs in this building. I did two um, in first grade, 
And then I did one, and when we had um, self-contained special ed, Mm -hmm. I was the long-term sub in there. How, I don't know, because I'm wildly unqualified for that (laughs) position. Um, But yeah, so I did three long-term subs here, and and then would sub on and off throughout the district, but I always ended up wanting to come here to, Mm -hmm. to sub and... And then one day, the principal at the time, Dr. Fleming, he um, he called me or texted me or I can't remember, but he was like, well, since you're here, he was like, I want to give you an interview for next year. He's like, you're already here today. Like, just come on your planning or whatever. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I go into his office and um, he was like, yeah, you're just already here. So I figured it would be easier than you having to, you know, come here on a day you're not here. And I was like, yes, sir. I was like really nervous because I was like, I'm terrible at interviews. Um but he was like, so tell me, he's like, do you want to work here next year? And I said, yes, sir. I'd like that very much. He's like, okay. <laughs> that was your interview. That was my experience. interview. Like, yeah. that was it. And yeah. so um, I'm very thankful for that because I, I don't think I would have gotten the job that I have had I not subbed. So I know some, I guess, new teachers, like new graduates kind of look down on subbing a little bit. Um, I know I did when I had to do it. I I. I liked the long-term positions because I kind of felt like I could um, get in a groove and get to know the students mm-hmm. better. But the day-to-day positions is just – subbing is tough. It is a tough job. And so um, – but I wouldn't have the job I have now if it wasn't for subbing. So got hired in 2013. All things first grade. I've, I've subbed first grade. I student taught first grade. And I've been a first grade teacher up until – this semester. Things have changed here (laughs) recently for you. Yeah, so I started teaching with um, our county's um, virtual academy, PCVA, and so I did first grade the first semester, and but now I'm doing kindergarten, so still virtual teaching, but kindergarten now, so it's a brand new experience. It's a year of new things. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, Do you like it? I do. It's, um, It's different, and I think it would even be more different if I was, you know, face to face. There are just so many aspects that are different from in person to virtual. So I don't feel like I get a, a full taste of what kindergarten's like, right. but they're so very cute and yeah. their faces just light up when they see me and that's just it's nice. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's great. It I can't imagine doing kindergarten virtually. I just just knowing how kindergartners are and it's virtually uh, impossible. <laughs> To them, yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be hard, especially with their attention spans and they're so concrete and hands on. And mm-hmm. how do you do some of this stuff? But we they're on work. iPods and iPads, and I don't even know why I said iPods, I don't even know if they have those anymore. But oh, iPads no. and tablets and laptops, so they know yeah. how to maneuver all that pretty well, I assume. I want to know what is the best thing and the worst thing about being a principal. Best thing and worst thing about being a principal. You can tell them in any order. You don't have to do best Mm. and worst. Well, I always like to end on a positive note. So (laughs) let me tell you the worst thing about being a principal. Sure. And then I'll tell you the best thing. So um, just like with any job, there's always like things that you really don't enjoy or really, you know, you kind of dread certain parts of your job. Um, For me, the worst thing about being a principal is the difficult conversations that you have to have with staff with parents mm-hmm. um you know whether or not whether you're sitting in an IEP meeting that you have to tell a parent that based on this assessment that your child doesn't qualify for services right. that they're just gonna it's gonna be hard it's gonna be difficult they're gonna have to work really hard and 
you know, they're looking for support and services and that's really not what they want to hear. Or if there's a learning disability and you're the one, you're in that meeting, whether I'm the one telling them or not. But those are difficult. Having conversations with staff members, if there's things that's, you know, you're having to address things, unprofessional, you know, professionalism or instruction, whatever, those are just, to me, those are just hard conversations. It's not, I don't look forward to it at all. So um, that's definitely the worst thing about being the principal. I think the best thing about being a principal is, um, and probably goes to one of the things we were talking about earlier, one of the questions is being able to kind of have an impact mm-hmm. on things. And I think that just falls with leadership. So, which was really the biggest reason why I wanted to kind of go into administration was, you know, in my classroom, I could impact that. 20-something third graders. When I went to secondary, I had anywhere from 125 to 150 kids. So I could like have an impact on them. But if I could be a principal and have an impact on teachers and parents and, you know, then I could really have an indirect impact on all students and, um, and, and kind of form and shape things the way that you felt was best for kids kind Mm -hmm. of deal. So, um, so that's the best thing I think about being a principal is just to be able to um, have such an impact. The hardest thing was indirect because um, when I moved from the classroom, you know, in the classroom it's so direct. Like you know all the kids, you know everything about every one of your students. You know, you got that real closeness, that bond that you have with your kids and your students. And then at the administrative level, it's like you know a lot of kids, like their faces and, you know, a good many names, but you don't know you don't know them on the same level you know when you're in there with them twenty four seven. And what I had to accept in my mind was that I was still having an impact, even though I didn't feel that way for first couple of years. But my focus had to be making sure that I was positively impacting the teachers, and then hopefully by the direction or whatever that we were going would have a positive impact on students. Like that indirect impact. Yes. It's good. <laughs> so what do you feel is kind of a little different question here. What do you feel is the greatest challenge facing education or educators, teachers today? See, when I, when I came There's up, not many, right? I mean, there's not many <laughs> challenges. There's not many challenges. So. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I, when I was thinking about the answer to this question, um, I found myself putting in a lot of a lot of things and so I feel like if I talk about all of them it's going to come across really negative I I don't mean for it to (laughs) it's just there's there's a lot of there are a lot of challenges I mean this year especially I mean the biggest challenge is you know you you want to to teach and you want to you know focus on academics but that's just not possible this year it's just not like we'll we'll get there if we get there but there are so many other things that need to be addressed and so one of the things I put on there was um taking on too many roles like having to fill all the gaps like you know you're you play nurse sometimes you play mom sometimes sometimes you play counselor Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. sometimes you play teacher every once in a while yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so you 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 just wear a lot of hats and you're you're filling in a lot of a lot of gaps of what of what they're missing and that's that's a lot of pressure like it's a lot of pressure to be this person who is in charge of a room full of children 
for most of the day, yeah. for most days of the week. Yeah. Um, trying to form them into, you know, little human beings that are going to help society one day and <laughs> be a be an active member and a positive member of society. Um, I put class sizes in there, and that's not as big of an issue this year because we can't have as big right. of class sizes because of COVID. Um, changing, I put trends in quotes and unquotes because sometimes, like, curriculum and things that changes it's almost like whoever's developing this curriculum is just trying to follow a trend and they're not really basing it off of research and Mm -hmm. like what actually works and so like we're constantly being told no don't do that anymore do this now oh well i know we told you to do it this way you know two weeks ago well guess what now you have to do it this way um and that's frustrating i mean that's frustrating in any job Mm -hmm. you know kind of learning the ins and outs of a program or the ins and outs of a way to do something and then suddenly you're like, nope, now you have to do it this way. So Yeah, you never have time to build your skills in a, right. in a particular area before the rug's pulled out and mm-hmm. we're switching gears. So. And you're like, okay, well, it's totally different from what you were doing here, yeah. but yeah. you have to start doing it tomorrow. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Um, so. Side note, this does not come from my leadership. I don't, I don't do that to people, right? <laughs> right. Please let people know that. Yeah, no. Um, so I feel like, man, that was, that was I, I don't know. I'm looking at this list. I'm like, gosh, that's really negative. But, I mean, teaching can be amazing. <laughs> it's not all negative. Um, I, I really enjoy the, honestly, the best part about teaching is the kids, the students. They're by far the best thing about being a teacher. They're so cute and they're wonderful and they're annoying sometimes, <laughs> but you love them anyway. And they just, you know, if it, and I think that's been hard with virtual. Like, you know, I, I, I get to know them as best I can and right. I, I do see them every day for the most part, but you know, I'm, I'm not there with them. So it's a little, it's a little sad that I don't get to see them in person. And so the kids that I see every morning and afternoon in the hall, like kids that I've taught and it's nice to see them. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, hey, love you guys. <laughs> so so Teaching's think, not all bad. Yeah. Well, I think I think uh, the whole virtual part of this would be another good episode that we we may get into at some point in time of talking oh. about the pros and cons of that and another um, what what have we learned from this and virtual? <laughs> yeah, I'm just planning episodes as we as we go. All of the episodes you're planning are yeah. like how to get Sarah to talk more. That's right. That's what I do. Yeah. Trying to get you to talk more. Okay. So, what are you passionate about? Mm, the obvious answer here, right? You asked this in an interview question. What are you hoping to hear? Kids. Kids. I'm so passionate about children and passionate about teaching, right? Those mm-hmm. are the things you want to hear Talk um, to. people say. <laughs> I think basically, it, for me, it boils down to changing lives, like positively. Like, I don't want to just, I just, I'm not, and it's, it's kind of hard to say being in education, like, I'm not just the, hardcore standards academic like that's what we're all about kind of deal like because mm-hmm. i think we 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 lose and we miss a lot of kids with that narrow focus of like we're only here to instruct academics and core um so you know it's like i want kids to leave here better prepared for for the world that they're going going to face and like our um, vision statement says, you know, we're trying to successfully prepare you for the world you'll be changing. Like we want these kids to change the world in a positive way mm-hmm. and we want to prepare them. And so preparing them to be able to do that means we have to 
you know, help the kids be stable emotionally and feel that they belong in this sense of belonging, that they're cared for, they're nurtured. Um, and they may not get that at home. And so to me, I, you know, and maybe that's where I butt heads with some folks because I do feel like where society is not doing that, the home is not doing that as much anymore. I do feel like that falls into the school's role. Because I think we're like the last, we're one of the last chance, you know? Yeah. Like if you look at church numbers and, pop, you know, growth in the church and, and Christianity or whatever faith you have, like those numbers aren't drastically growing. But school, they have to be here. So in yeah. some in some form, some fashion, I think that's why it's important. Like with our school, the Positivity Project and teaching those character strengths and teaching, our, you said, those little human beings. Like we want mm-hmm. them to be great humans. I've seen yeah. that on t-shirts. Like yeah. I don't want them to just be really smart kids or whatever. I want them to be great humans and, yeah. um, and do some positive things in our society. So that's just what motivates me. How can I get um, the kid that's the least motivated child in our school Mm-hmm. to see their see a different life for, for themselves, you know, change the tra- trajectory of someone's life. It's a hard word. That's a big word, hard yeah. word. <laughs> you did I'm great, though. It. What about you? What are you passionate about? Um, so, we know you have some music background, so you're yeah. probably passionate about music. I am too. passionate about music. What I, else? I love music. Um, so I guess in the classroom, my my passion is is making my making sure my students know that that I love them, making sure that they know that they're cared for, because a lot of times I might be the only person in their corner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I make sure that they know um, that they're loved. And a lot of that now, I mean, it's always been that way, but now that I'm a mom, like I think about like when Delcy starts school, I want her to be in the classroom of a teacher who wants her to be there, mm-hmm. who, who values her, who's going to look after her, right. who's going to, you know, sometimes have to teach her the hard things because I know she's going to be stubborn. Um, but I, I want to be able to, to feel confident that I'm, that I'm leaving her with a person that is going to take care of her. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I definitely want to be that person for parents. Like, right. you know, it's, it's different with virtual, but when they're face to face students, like I, I want parents to know, like, your kid's good as long as they're with me like they're good we might we might have arguments we might not have the best day sometimes but um i'm going to take care of them and so another passion of mine would would be parenting mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. um cuz i've seen it i've seen it from a from a teacher's per- perspective when they're just parents who sometimes they just have no idea they have no idea what they're doing um, like to help their child. They mm-hmm. want to, right. they absolutely right. want to because they love their children, but they just have no idea. And, and I've seen that from a foster mom perspective too. Like my foster son, um, when he came to us, he was, he was severely behind developmentally, um, cognitively speech, like everything was behind. And it was honestly just because mom, mom had no clue. Like she, she was doing what she thought was best. She was kind of doing what, how it she was parented. Right. She's following the model. Yeah. yeah. And and she loved him fiercely. I have no doubt that she loves her son. But she just, there was something missing. Like there was a part missing. And so I guess another one of my passions is I, I want to be the person who kind of helps parents fill in those gaps too. Because, you know, I help students mm-hmm. fill in their gaps. Mm-hmm. But parents have gaps. I have gaps as a parent. But um I try to be very open with parents, like give them suggestions for things. Cause a lot of times they just have no idea. Right. Um, I remember I had one mom, 
I, I loved her child so much. He was, he was a great student, but he just, he really struggled with reading. And I remember having a conference with her and, and we talked about it and she got emotional and she was like, I just, she's like, I had no idea that we were supposed to read together like wow. every night. She's yeah, like, I had no idea. Yeah, we take for granted. We yeah. Think everybody and, knows. And I'm sitting here like, well, that's, that's just, that's sad. Like it's not, it's not her fault. It's, it's mm-hmm. not her fault. She didn't know. She just didn't know. And so I, you know, I guess I don't know how to go about that, but I am very passionate about, I guess, educating parents on, on things they can do to, to help their children. And it would be, it would be great to kind of catch them early right? (laughs) when, you know, when their kid's like a baby and a toddler, but you know, sometimes they, well, how do we build those? And I know we, we're working on those things and trying to find ways that we can reach out to, you know, that birth to five category, I mean, to, before they get here, to get that information and give that support to the parents yeah. early on. They need it. So they're not five years in and they've barely been spoken to or read to mm-hmm. or, or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, would definitely help us out a lot on the education side of it. And, it would. And, you know, we as teachers, you know, complain about parents a lot. I'm sure parents complain about teachers a lot mm-hmm. too. And, and there are those instances where the parents, you know, don't care they're not trying but for the most part i found it's just it's it's a knowledge gap yeah so i was gonna say <laughs> that's exactly what i was thinking i was like it goes right back to the knowledge gap just not knowing how yeah. you know or a skills mm-hmm. gap of or not gap. Yeah. Uh, okay i know i'm supposed to do this i just don't know how, don't know how like um yeah that's definitely um a realization i think that a lot of people at some point in time come to mm-hmm. you know and and uh, for some, it may take longer than others, but it's just like that experience that you had, you know, with a parent that's that honest, open, and and we take for granted that we know this because of we talked about our backgrounds. Right. You know, we Their had good parents is. that were doing things the best that they could and and gave us those opportunities, and then we were educators, so we get all the nature and nurture learning and, mm-hmm. and all the the courses in college and everything. So yeah. we're prepared to do that, and we just assume that everybody kind of operates in that way, and mm-hmm. it's not for a lot of them. All right, so I was I was kind of wondering, like, what what do you hope that teaching and learning looks like here at Dacusville? Like, how do you communicate that vision? Like, if you're walking through the hallways, what what do you hope as an overall, you know, umbrella of things? What do you hope you're seeing? I think it kind of goes to back to why I went into education in the first place. Cause I think so much of how leaders lead is kind of their thoughts and beliefs and their philosophies anyway. And so it goes back to, I feel like, um, school could be a different place. School could be, you know, if it was somewhere that kids wanted to go and there was a reason to be there. I think the, there was a question in, um, that book teach like a pirate. If you've ever, um, read that book, it's a great, great book. Um, Dave Burgess wrote it, and in the book, he asked the question, if your students didn't have to be in your class, would they still come? And I thought about that question, it just really hit me, and I was like, that's in essence, that's the way I've approached education the whole time, is give the kids a reason to be here. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have to be here, compulsory attendance, and all this kind of stuff. Parents have to drop them off, because they'll get in trouble if they don't, and mm-hmm. with all the attendance stuff, and laws and everything that's out there but what are we doing to draw kids here what are we doing to make school relevant and engaging and fun mm-hmm. um i see the places and i see the organizations and the companies around like disney and all these other places that kids love and they gravitate to and they want to be around or they want to go there and i know a lot of people say 
that that's entertainment and, you know, we're not here to entertain kids, but I want to walk the halls and see happy faces. I want to see kids who have still have a joy for learning and a joy for being here and that we haven't sucked the life out of mm-hmm. childhood uh, at the elementary and early childhood levels for the sake of a standardized test or for the sake of grading and so forth. Like, and that's why we've done things like, you know, before this year when we had a little bit longer day and we've had extra recess and just time for kids to just or an unorganized play just to be able to go outside and, and interact with others to build those social skills that, you know, they may live in, in a community or in, in the country around here and they don't, there's no neighbors, there's no kids to play with. So here's all they have. And um, I want to support the, the students. I want it to be a positive place. Um, and that kind of speaks to what our slogan and our motto is, and it's that promoting positivity and growing greatness. And we just, um, we want we want to kind of start days with gratitude and have everybody focused on the good things and the positives because there are so many negatives that we can't some we can't control some we can but um, I just think if kids first of all want to be here if we can change that mindset then let's have our battle um, if kids know that they are cared for and that they belong and that they're supported and they're encouraged and all and empowered, then they're going to want to hear, want to be here. And then I think from a principal standpoint, kind of goes back to that indirect, then my goal is to make that the same thing for the teachers and the staff that are here for them to feel supported, for them to feel um, encouraged that they belong. This is a community, um, to help them be positive when things are not so positive or yeah. when they're focusing on, or when they've got a list in front of them of all the, the negative things going on. Cause there are, there are a lot of challenges going on, but, um, so I, I think that's, that's just a big part of the vision here is to have a positive school that where we promote that. Um, I think going forward, some things that we would, we would love to see is just, um, embracing leadership and, how we teach just the very basics of leadership. I know you mentioned the yes, ma'am, no, ma'am kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but respect and eye contact and, or shaking hands or, you know, just some of those things as our kids pre- go through so that they're prepared for the world and not yeah. just prepared for the test or prepared for the standards that they have. So, yeah, <laughs> that'll teach if you let that'll it. That'll teach if you let it. Wait, we're not done. <laughs> oh, sorry. Stay with us. Um, so kind of, um, similar, but I'm interested to hear from a teacher's perspective. Teacher recruitment and retention is always like a kind of a hot button for us. And uh, especially uh, we get asked that, we think about that, we talk about it a lot of how do we recruit the best teachers? And then once we get really good teachers, how do we keep them? And I think a lot of businesses are doing that. But what's missing? Like how do we encourage? Because right now, I mean, numbers show that we've got a lot of folks retiring and we don't have a lot of folks in our state that are even going into the programs um, to be educators. So how do we encourage this next generation, the kids that are in sitting in middle school and high school now to go into this field? Oh my. That's, I'm interested. Can't wait to write down all question. the notes. See, that's another one of the ones that I was not prepared to answer because I, that's a, that's a lot. It's a big question. And so I didn't, I didn't write down an answer. So I'll just talk and see see what comes out <laughs> well what um 
So I I guess what I I can tell you that I feel like the media social or otherwise plays a big factor in high school students not choosing education as a field because it's all negative whether it's coming from an outside source saying how terrible schools are and this terrible thing that the school did or whether it's an inside source a teacher saying you know my day was terrible my principal hates me my kids are awful like i don't get paid enough blah 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 like that plays a big role. Like, you know, high schoolers that are making these decisions about where to go to college, if they're going and what they're going to major in, like that, that plays a big role. They're like, well, obviously I don't want to be a teacher because they all hate their jobs and the world hates their jobs too. And it's terrible. So why would I want to pursue that? We're like our worst marketing. We're, we're our worst yeah. publicists. You we know? are. Like when we absolutely you look and are. see, the, all the educators that are out there just blasting what happened. Like, and I think too, there's things. There's a right. There's a right time and a right forum to address your concerns, the things like that. But you know, just like everything, people taking to social media or whatever just to air out everything. I mean, everybody has a bad day. So you had a bad observation, or your ball, your principal walked in the day before Halloween and observed you, and you like. You you blast the entire education system because you know that one thing that happened that day and all. It's just a lot of negative, and we don't probably uh, promote the positive stuff. We don't promote you know, our jobs all. very well at all. And I mean, I'm definitely guilty of that. I would like to think that the like the memes and the videos that I like share and post about teaching like are lighthearted, like funny, like yeah, they're poking mm-hmm. fun and showing a negative thing, but it's it's you know meant to be like funny like haha this is this is my life but um you know i would hate to think that somebody who is excited about being a teacher like would see things that i post about my job and decide to not pursue um education as a career like that would that would be devastating because i'm i'm gonna retire one day and i would hope somebody would come and fill my spot and you know my child is only 16 months old like she's She's got a while before she starts school. Like, right. are there going to be any good right. teachers left when she gets here? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, that's that's tough. Yeah. So that's it's been a goal here um, at our at Dacusville, um since I got here, two thousand seventeen. I think it was seventeen eighteen. Um, was you know trying to create a a culture and an environment here at the school. Um, because as I've read a lot of different books and articles and things that I've read about teacher retention, not just in America, but just worldwide, like read a lot of stuff from the UK and different things like that. And, and across the globe, the things that um, are deterring folks from going into it or that cause people to leave once they get into it. You know, you know, the statistics, the numbers about the first five years, how many people leave, you know, it's, it's not pay. Um, even though that that's not where we all know that's not where it is, but that's an obvious, like that's the thing that people know if they've done any research before they know what they get paid. Like they know what they're stepping into there. Mm -hmm. What they don't know they're stepping into when they get into school is the things that you were talking about, all the back and forth, the pendulum swings of do this. No, don't do that. We're going to do this. And you just can't feel good. The, the numerous PDs and overwhelming meetings and stuff that everything that is good in moderation that distracts you sometimes from being able to teach or, or just piles up after hours kind of deal in the, in the take home stuff. And then, but one of the number one things is administration and it's, 
it really kind of boils down to a lot of folks just feel like, I mean, I've read and heard horror stories of just how people didn't feel supported, how they were taught negative to, you know, I know multiple schools that have like revolving doors Mm -hmm. and you got to investigate that a little bit. Like even if they're doing well academically, it's like if you can't keep teachers there longer than two or three years, there's something there, something's going on. And so the goal here was you start by creating a culture and environment where people want to come to work. Just like I said, I want they want to come to school. I want people to want to come here. And that kind of starts with trust. So building trust with your faculty, um, I think it's huge showing different ways that you appreciate and support people. Um, and I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got is it was right before I took my first AP job. It was a English teacher, Miss Starwalt at Lakeside Middle. And, a great name. Yeah, it was good. Her name was Cheryl Star- Starwalt and she's still teaching, I believe. She may have retired in the last year or two, but um, she told me, she's like, Travis, I wish you the best. She's like, I'm just going to tell you, don't ever forget what it was like to be a teacher. And so wow. just kind of thinking about I've kind of taken that mindset every role. So when I was in AP, don't forget what it's like to be a teacher. You know, when you become a principal, don't forget what it's like to be a teacher and an AP. And but then also never forgetting what it was like to be a student. Right. And um, and so I think well, number one, you've got to create an environment where people want to be. And then the retention piece of it, you know, I think that's the key to growing any any school or getting where you want to go, like when we were talking about the vision and what it wants to look like. I mean, if, if we're constantly, just like with the curriculum, if we're constantly changing folks, and I, and I want to hire good people, so don't get me wrong, I understand there's folks that will stay at home, have babies and raise families, there'll be folks that'll move off, their husbands got transferred, or they move closer to family. I get those reasons. I just don't want anybody to leave our school because they just don't feel supported. Um, with things within our control. You know, so, um, and I think we have to be our, we have to be better ambassadors to mm-hmm. our, our field. Yeah. We've got to speak louder than the negative voices and the right. critics that are out there. And, and I think our district does a really good job of that. Like we have the mentor program. Mm-hmm. So like every first year teacher isn't like just thrown to the wolves. It's right. just like you have somebody that you know you can go to with questions. Um, so I feel like kind of having that support because that first year, is tough. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if you if you want to keep you know the good teachers around, like you gotta like you said, you gotta come alongside them, let them know that they're supported. And so if you if you do that from the get go, if you do that from that very first year, then chances are they'll they'll stick around. I mean, yeah, feels stuck with me. So <laughs> <laughs> here I am. Yeah, I think that you know that speaks to a lot of to a lot of the environment or the cultures. You know, how long have people stuck stuck around, mm-hmm. and how many. I mean, that's one of our strategic plan goals is to increase our percentage of student of, of staff that's returning from year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that has to be a goal for administration, leadership, and schools in general. For um, what it's worth, I think we have a great environment here. I, think I only paid you $20 to say that. <laughs> <laughs> only $20? Man, yeah, I thought there was more. What I mean, if you want to keep talking, I can no, slot another 20 there, there, but... So I want to know what is your most embarrassing principal moment so far. I know mm, there will be many there's, more. But. Yeah, there's been many, and there were there, there will be many more. Mm-hmm. Um, embarrassing. Um, I am all about doing anything for kids, like whatever, right. whatever for kids. Um, and so we were raising funds. At the school, I believe it was for United Way at my first school as a principal at Centerville. 
And so my reading coach and my assistant principal come to me and they're like, okay, you know, we want to do this thing where like there's three options and kids can bring in change and they can vote and whichever one gets the most change, that's what we'll do. But here's, we want you to be the, basically the guinea pig of all three choices. Mm -hmm. So choice one was like, um, dress up like a hot dog and let kids like basically make you into a human hot dog by squirting ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise and all that kind of junk all over you. So I was like, okay, whatever. I honestly don't remember what the second one was. I think it was maybe an ice cream sundae, basically just... You've done that get, here before. I have. I've done that here. And the third one, which of course was the one that won, was for me to dress up like a woman and <laughs> perform a song for the entire student body. And I, I should have known. I did know. I was like, that's going to win. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those things you learn stuff about yourself because I'm like, I'm not really shy. And... um and again, like I said, I'll, I don't really care. I'll do whatever for the kids and stuff. And so I was kind of like excited in a way because I knew that they were going to love it. Yeah. And I was, you know. So the funniest part was going and buying a dress, buying two dresses. It felt completely awkward, but the ladies were like, I had to tell them exactly what I was doing. And then they just like made it their personal mission to find me like the perfect <laughs> the dress and perfect stuff. Dress. And it was so embarrassing because they're just like running around telling me. So that was embarrassing. But then to have to stand up on stage, my school was 770-something kids. They're piled in the gym on the floor. And um, my wife actually came over. My daughter actually and son came <laughs> over to help me like get ready behind the stage. And all the staff are lying down the wall and stuff. We have a huge faculty. And so I came out, the first one, with a blonde wig and a, and a dress and these flats and saying, shake it off. By Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift, and then there was had to be an encore, <laughs> so I had to come back out with a dark, uh, a basically black wig and a and a leopard skin, leopard print, leopard print, not leopard skin, <laughs> leopard print dress, and sing Katy Perry's "Roar." See, I would say that that's. Um you know difficult to visualize but it's not because i've seen the video oh my god (laughs) i cannot believe that people here found that um found it pretty quickly actually like shockingly fast that's sad that it's still out there i was kind of hoping they had like created a new site took down the old stuff so wow we're not going to put that on the podcast for folks to go check out but if you really wanted to dig long enough you can find it on youtube so I if was, I find I was it, actually, I'll put it on the, on the drive. I was people. actually kind of amazed in myself that like behind stage, like I was nauseous. Mm. I physically was nauseous that, <laughs> uh, to go out there in front of all those. And, and it wasn't the kids. If it had just been the kids and the adults were gone, it was just, it was the adults. Exactly. The side, so. People are always like, oh, well, if you teach, you know, 22 first graders, you should be able to talk to this room of 40 grownups. Like, no, it is yeah. not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. So why did you even agree to do this podcast? And what do you hope to accomplish? We'll just kind of, we've said a lot about us. We've talked a lot about ourselves and gave probably our listeners more bio information than they they care to hear. But this podcast, like this whole idea, why why did you agree to do it? Well, um, I'm a rule follower. Oh, God. So you're going to make this like it was uh, a command? It was not a command. It was not a command, but when you're 
principal comes to you and asks you if you're willing to do a podcast with him, like you kind of have to, you don't have to, but you're just like, okay. Really, I was kind of curious as to why you even picked me because at mm-hmm. the time, like we weren't like friends, good friends or anything like that. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I joked with you that like you were turning me into your special little project to. It's going to, well, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, so I was just, you know, I was like, okay, well, either either you asked me for a reason or you asked a bunch of other people and they all turned you down and I was just your last That's where your brain goes, chance. right? <laughs> you're not good enough to do a podcast. You just happen to be the only one. I was the only like, one willing to do it. <laughs> that couldn't say no. Is right. that what it was? Yeah. That's that respect for So no for any administrators on here, you just heard her. Like they can't say no to your boss. So just That's ask them ask them whatever. You know, tell them that. to write a book or lead a PD. They, no. They've got to do it, right? Like I'm allowed. I, I have more empowerment to say In no. In all now. seriousness. Why why In all seriousness it? it sounded fun. Um I this is gonna sound really, really cheesy. So I I often do not get heard as as a shy person as an introvert as a um, not outspoken person like my ideas and my input my insights experiences all that stuff often gets overshadowed by people who are a little more bold than I am mm-hmm. so knowing that it was just audio too is a big difference like there's no video recording involved and so I felt like it was kind of a, a positive outlet for me to to have my voice heard that that often doesn't get heard. Mm-hmm. So that was really cheesy, but No, it yeah. wasn't. You hit exactly you hit exactly on part of those reasons why and it wasn't because you were at the bottom of a long list that had been scratched off by people who said no. It was, you know, for a couple of years now I've had I've wanted to do a podcast. Um, I listen to them in the car coming to work because I do have a long commute and you get tired of hearing the same songs or commercials over and over. And um, and I like to learn and it's just an easy way. I'm in my car and I'm listening. Um, but I've also been trying for the last couple of years to build teacher leaders, to um, identify people's strengths and find ways for everybody to shine just like you do in your classroom you want ways for every kid to feel successful so you know i want that for our staff too um and like you mentioned there are folks who don't want to be a principal don't want to be an instructional coach but they do want to be a leader a teacher leader somehow some way in the building they just have to be given the right opportunities and sometimes that's a small group PD that they that they lead or they lead a PLC or they lead a faculty meeting. Um, but you're right. For three years, we worked together and you were known as Quiet Sarah. That was just kind of my nickname for you because <laughs> I might get a, hey, how are you? Or hello in the hall or at car duty. Um, but in getting to know you and having a conversation, I'm like, okay, she actually talks, you know, it's like, yeah. and she's kind of funny and <laughs> she's really sarcastic and yes. kind of a smart aleck a lot of times, but <laughs> I was like, that's really good for radio, right? That's yeah. good for audio. And, and also because I, I have observed you teaching in the classroom and, and communicated to you before that, you know, that I felt like you were doing a lot of things really well in the classroom and, uh, but you weren't comfortable 
really with like standing up in front of the group. We, t- we joked before we started the audio of this that you kind of hide behind the, the laptop screen and how far, lo- how far down in your chair can you go? Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, this might be an, uh, a forum, a medium to allow you to share some of those viewpoints and insights and, and knowledge. So, yeah. so there you go. So you weren't like yeah. just that last pick, last choice. It was intentional. Well, I think um, for for us, or I can just speak for me. You know, we record most of these on Fridays. We're recording mm-hmm. this one on a Thursday because of remote tomorrow and and things. But um, you know, I look forward to it uh, just yeah. to be able to talk. It feels um, it feels good to just to be able to talk about your experiences or things that are going on in education without having some specific agenda or. Mm-hmm. Um, being graded or evaluated or whatever it's just that's right that's right there's no like um it's just very informal (laughs) you know i guess and so it's kind of in a way we joke it could be a therapy type (laughs) to just to just talk and and so forth and get things out but i I don't think that the educators have time to do that much anymore or they don't they're not given the opportunities to to talk so so hopefully you stuck around for this long, but now you kind of know who we are and where we came from and what in the world we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> so next time we'll have another episode for you. I think the next episode, don't we have don't we have an idea for that? Yeah, yeah. is it? It is, is it things we need to stop doing. Yeah, is things in education that you need to stop doing. Yes. and things to do instead. So if you're going to tune in for that, you can go ahead and put your list together and be thinking about mm-hmm. all the things that you think we need to stop doing. Maybe we'll hit on some of yours. I'm sure you'll have others that, that we don't talk about. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us on That'll Teach. If you let it. <laughs> <laughs>